You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Half hour. Hello and welcome to Half Hour, an entertainment podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment. I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. Here to bring you the casual conversations on the shows and films and concerts and music that we see and observe throughout our careers. Just a heads up that this conversation will feature spoilers, so make sure you're checking out the piece that we're discussing. Or not, it's completely up to you, but we are going to have spoilers on what we're talking about today. So you have been warned if you want to see this um, live in person first before listening on with the podcast. Today we are talking about the 2022 Broadway revival of Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman, playing at the Hudson Theater on Broadway in New York City. This production stars Wendell Pierce and Sharon D. Clark, along with Andre DeShields, and it is directed by Miranda Cromwell. This was a really successful revival in London <clears throat> that is now here, a long-awaited return of this show. We see believe this is the fourth or fifth revival of the piece on Broadway. It's, I think it's been on Broadway four or five times. So, wow. <clears throat> yeah, it's quite it's quite often done. This is only the first time that I've seen it. Yeah. And <laughs> we've all, so many people have studied it, um, you know, throughout their studies as students. Mm-hmm, uh, it's mm-hmm. definitely something to yeah, study. Yeah, I read it in high school. Yeah. And this is the Young Vic Theater production from London that's here. And this production was originally directed by Marion Elliott and Miranda Cromwell at the Young Vic Theatre in London and subsequently at the Piccadilly Theatre in London in 2019. So this was a pre-COVID piece that's now here in New York. And Wendell Pierce and Sharon D. Clark did um, do this over there as well, which is really cool. Death of a Salesman, a heavy piece. It is um, arguably considered one of the greatest, one of the greatest plays of the 20th century. It uh, of American theater, Arthur Miller writing the, A View from the Bridge, Death of a Salesman, All My Sons, and The Crucible, meaning his four major pieces, um, along with many, many other things. What do we think of this? We, I will say this was um, about the Lohman family. It was an all-black family, the Lohman family being seen on Broadway for the first time like that. And that definitely adds to a lot of different elements of this piece and the themes it's heavy. It was over three hours long. So we were dealing with a really long, heavy piece here. What were your overall general thoughts of this play and this production of it? Overall thoughts for me is that the show, I I think that it just worked. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing this, I've read the play. I haven't seen any productions of it, but seeing this and seeing this with an all black family, seeing the story in that light and that viewpoint, it, 
it was it just worked, but it was also different to see and how they were able to kind of make this work. And I, that kind of goes for like any family, you know, during that time in America and being a salesman. So I think, you know, it's really cool when you can take a piece and relate it to multiple um, families of different backgrounds, etc. So, yeah, I thought it just, you know, it was good. I think what's so interesting is when you see a play that so many people have read and so many people know, and you take a dynamic element of it, and and you you just take a different. You don't change the script. There's nothing really changed. You didn't change the time period, and you were reminded that what were black families going through at this time of American history? We're talking about the late '40s into the '50s. So the wars are kind of ending a little bit. We're coming mm-hmm. to the baby boomer time of Americana being this verge of the 1950s being this boom of economy and boom of success and the American dream and and raising families and living. Uh, And then you realize, no, it wasn't that great for so many people, right? Right. Uh, There's this amazing blurb in the the playbill by um, Arminda Thomas titled Death of a Salesman at Home with Willie Loman. And it speaks about black communities coming up from the South and migrating to Northern cities for looking for a better pay and successful work and successful jobs. And we learned that in the 1920s and 30s, where the Lohman family is in Bedford-Stuyvesant neighborhood of Brooklyn, that neighborhood was experiencing a large influx of black Americans due to, as I'm quoting here, due to migration and the introduction of the A train that connected Harlem to Brooklyn. And eventually Crown Heights and Bedford-Stuyvesant became predominantly black. So how do we not see a piece like this when you're seeing a black family in Bed-Stuy, in Brooklyn, living. And there's so many things going on with this. I, I'm So many people know the plot of this, so I'm going to we're not going to talk too, too much about the plot of this because so many people have read this, but I do want to talk about this production in specific and what's working and what's going on here. First of all, I will say I was really, really blown away by Wendell Pierce's whole portrayal of Willie Loman. Yeah. It was so commanding. I read a few things where people were like, oh, he was he was angry a lot. He yelled a lot. It was a little abrasive a lot. Some people had said that in just commentary that I read and heard about. And I said, I didn't think so at all. I thought he totally hit the mark where he needed to. This is such a tragedy piece of a struggle of a man who is just dealing with all of the hard heartaches of life. And you're seeing so – you have to carry that whole piece on your shoulders. You're on the stage the majority of the piece. I thought he was really, really amazing in the role. Yeah, I agree. I really, really do. I thought Sharon D. Clark was also really great in the role. For me, I feel like she warmed up to it. In the beginning, it was a little stiff, a little quiet. She seemed a little – and I think the character is stiff. She's she's clearly holding in that she knows that her husband's trying to kill himself. And so she's trying to deal with her sons being back in the house and her husband. And so she – but I think she really kind of then opens up as the piece goes. So if that's done on purpose, then good for her because she's really showing the arc of the character. Um, and I really enjoyed her more in the second act as she really kind of opened up more mm-hmm. as the character. Yeah. I think kind of – both of them were great together, and mm-hmm. I thought that they had great chemistry. Yes, great it. chemistry together. And even with the, their two sons, you know, yeah. them as a whole family dynamic really worked well together. Mm-hmm. And I, I always like, there's a lot, there's so much hidden message in this. Whenever I see, I find Tennessee Williams and Arthur Miller, their pieces just have so many hidden messages and themes. There's something, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the themes of the piece here. Yeah. Willie, mm-hmm. the name Willie, will he. 
Will he die? Will he kill himself? Will he be successful? Will he? They never call him William. Yeah. There's a theory. That's not my idea. This is something that's been around the history for the many years of this piece. I'm just throwing it out there to get your opinion on something like that. Low man. Low man. Yeah. There, I mean, when you automatically look at this man's name, and actually I believe that Arthur Miller denied, there's there's somewhere in the history that Arthur Miller denied that Lowman was purposely done as Lowman. But um, critics had said, oh, well, you named this guy. Will he Lowman? I mean, is there a theory by that? What do you think of just his name in general when you hear something like that? I feel like that would make sense if all four of the characters had, had something name. similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. like Linda Lohman, it's just yeah, right. Linda Lohman. Right. So, I mean, I, it kind of works. It's a good interpretation by mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. to come up with that theory mm-hmm. and like happy. Ha- he's happy. Right. He's just happy go lucky. Right. And then Riff or Biff. Riff. <laughs> Biff is kind of like. His father, but like Biff, what do you, you know, you're, mm-hmm. it gets it. I say riff because it's like you're going to get in like the riff. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so with those, maybe it's just the man, the men in the story that would contribute to that by name. Maybe. Yeah. But, and I just find that to be interesting. And the, and the struggle of this man, and I, and I always also find the mystery of the theme of Willie Loman also is like, what is, where is he going? Yeah. He's going out of town. They never specifically – he names the cities he goes to, but we know that he's having an affair. He had an affair. Infidelity is a theme throughout this piece um, as and – and, and, and having that affair. But also being a mediocre salesman is he, – he can't accept that he doesn't make the sales that he wishes he could. He's been doing this job for 30-something years. Long ago, his brother offered him a job in Alaska. He didn't go. There's this – this steadiness of of what's and it's what's reality versus what's illusion. The illusion of what what is reality for Willie Loman and what is illusion. And he dips into the memory scenes of his past as the happier times of his life. Yeah. And the reality is he can't pay his bills. The reality is his sons won't are not getting their lives together. The reality is that he is not as successful as he wants to be when he sees others around him being successful. But they were the happier times that they could flash back to, but were they? Mm. I mm. think that's the point of the flashback is he was making something out of nothing. Mm. It seemed like he was happy when his son was successful in football. And there was this like, you're going to play football. You're going to go to college and play football. The American dream to go be a football player and to see a black family in Brooklyn talking about their sons having the dream like this and then their sons not finding their way. And then when they go into these office scenes and you see white actors cast in these roles and the racism that is existing there that I never really thought I've seen racism in a production of Death of a Salesman. And I see this now. I'm like, wow. It's astonishing to see that nothing has changed, but a director's vision of this can really, really just take a whole nother look at this piece. There's a whole nother layer here besides the reality and the illusion and the tragedy of the piece because the tragedy is now just a different layer. Yeah. Well, that's like an interesting topic kind of because this was directed and this concept was – it came up from someone. They read this play and they said, oh, this would work with a black family. Mm-hmm. And 
what they're feeling in the workplace at that time is very different than what a white man was feeling in the workplace at that time, right? Right. So as the death of a salesman as we originally know it, what was it? A poor white family. So that was just class status, right? It right. had nothing really to do with race. Right. And now this is both. It, it is such an amazing thing that we can, you know, when you look at history and you look at these playwrights who wrote about these fa- family living room dramas and things of the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, we can't forget what were Hispanic families and Asian families and black families dealing with at the same time. Yeah. And we can tell this tragedy piece from a different lens and it can still, it can still work in that way. Um, there's also this theme of, there's that chilling line at the end of the piece where Willie Loman says, I think I'm worth more dead than alive. Cause he's realizing if I die, my son will get this insurance money and he can go start his business or he can go start his life. I'm worth more to him when I die. Mm. And there's that theory of, is he going to kill himself? If you don't know the piece, you really don't kind of know if he's actually going to. He's kind of getting manic. And and the, the pipe, the gas pipe and the gas line, that's a whole thing. And driving the car and killing himself. It's this tragedy theme. There's that line that Sharon D. Clark has when she says, your father is trying to kill himself. Mm-hmm. That is so shocking if you've never read this play before and you hear that. Because you're seeing, oh, sad family. This is tough. They're going through hardships. And then you hear that, like, whoa, now we're really in serious town. And the sons turn around and say, what, mom? What are you talking about? Right. And she's holding on to that. There's so much going on there. I just find that a lot of these themes really all intertwine. And and I love the dipping into the memory. The brother, Andre DeShields playing the brother, is this ghostly figure that comes in and out. He has these cryptic, mysterious lines about the diamonds and the jungle and, and right. Africa and his life. And and what does that mean? He, it's almost like you could have come with me, Willie. I could have showed you a better life. We could have had a journey. We could have made more money, but you stayed here. The decisions you make and the brother almost like the ghost of Christmas past kind of in Christmas Carol or, or um, Scrooge and Marley kind of haunting him. It's that my brother's coming back to haunt me. Well, what's interesting about that character, it's Ben. Ben, yeah. It's like... We don't really know why Ben is dead. Mm-hmm. So we see something that Willie has like looked up to or looked for for guidance in life. But Ben is still dead. Mm. And I think that's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. What did he die from? Because they can't be that different in age. Right. So <laughs> did something along the same lines happen to yeah. him? Did Ben have all of the answers, really? Because it seemed like when he would come, Linda would be annoyed that he was there Mm. kind of tainting Willie's opinion or, you know, Willie would be like, I got to get out. We got to go to Alaska. We got to go here. We got to go. But what was Ben chasing that ended up ultimately in his death? Yeah. And at the very end, and then there's also something there when right before (laughs) Willie Loman goes to the car to kill himself at the end, Ben comes to him one more time. Yeah. And is saying that I went into the jungle at 17 and I left at 21. Some, I'm paraphrasing something like that. And that it's diamonds in the jungle, something like that. It was so, you could interpret that in so many ways. And it was almost like he had to hear his brother again to kind of make this horrible decision for his life. And it, it just, mm, astonishing. The piece is just so tragic and so sad. And how 
how does something, how does a piece like this, when you're watching it from your own lens, make you feel? It makes me feel really sad for the struggle that so many people have had to go through in their life or are still going through in their life. There was something so sad and the audience reacted to this. There was a tragedy and he would say to his son, you do not pick something up when, you know, he was trying to teach his son, like, you're going to fight for $15,000, not $10,000. When someone drops something in that room, you don't pick it up, they'll pick it up. But the father picks it up. Mm-hmm. Then the father gives the advice that he couldn't give to himself or use in his own life. And there he is picking up the lighter. And then I found to be so chilling, and this must have been a directorial moment, I guess, lighting the cigarette for the boss. It wasn't just picking it up. It was, let me pick it up and let me serve you. And you're not helping me, but I will still serve. The, the blatant racial tones there was so sad. And, and the audience really reacted to that. I, I did hear that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think for me, I think I put a lens on here of how do I see something like this in my own life mm-hmm. and the different lives around me. And I thought one of the biggest takeaways for me was that I think this was more with Biff, but like, what is the story that we're creating and presenting to the world that's false? And are we all living a big lie, but also what are we working for? Mm. You know, what is the point of creating a career and a job and doing something that you either like or don't like? And I think there's so much hidden in that because I think when he looks at his father, he says, this man tried to create a career, was creating a career, and it all came crashing down from one night. Mm -hmm. The point that Biff goes and sees his father in Boston to find him having an affair. And we don't know at that point because guess what? He was just told by that woman, oh, you're going to get up to the sales front now, you know, now that he was sleeping. And also how many other people was he doing that with? How many Mm -hmm. other um, affairs was he Mm -hmm. having to get to the front? Because in the beginning, you kind of hear him say, oh, I had all the clients and then they were gone. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing happened with Biff because it was like he had everything going for him and one thing changed. He got a bad grade. Mm-hmm. He failed the class. And he couldn't. And then he went and saw his father having an affair. And after that, he feel, he he really realized that everything was a lie. And the father and the son and the di- the older son, Biff, and the dynamic between the two of them, and the love they have for each other, but the hatred they have for each other's life. Your life should have been this. And your life should have been this. Yeah. And the younger son's like, but I'm going to get married. I'm going to figure it out. He even says that at the funeral again. Mom, I'll be fine. You know, and the yeah, brothers. There's a whole other lane with that Yes, son. there is. Because there's that son has... He has the womanizer side of his life. He has the fun and fancy free side of his life. You see that. Well, I think there's a whole another line uh, lane with his character because happy is the name. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Willie idolized and did everything for Biff mm-hmm. and couldn't care less about happy. Mm-hmm. And happy, happy just wanted his father's approval. Mm-hmm. Biff already had his father's mm-hmm. approval. He didn't need to earn it. And happy just wanted it mm-hmm. and was never given it. Yeah. Do you yeah. ever feel that way? Yes. It's really astonishing. So there's a family dynamic there. That's very, the whole dynamic's tragic. They all love the mother. Yeah. The mother is the bedrock of the home. 
And let's let's actually go to the home a little bit. Yeah. Um, because I want to start also talking about this production element as well. We had a, some many um, mysteriously moving set pieces, things hanging. It was a house that was frayed, that was broken apart, that came together when it needed to and broke apart when it needed to. I found the house to be another character, and I found the house to really mirror what was going on in the family. There was not I. I'm such a person with scenery where I I sometimes like literal and I like. And when it's something like this, there was a lot of pantomiming of props and there was like no bed when they were sitting on a bed. Or, it was limited. I understand we didn't need all that to clutter the piece. Um, That's where we're always so opposite. Yeah, I know. <laughs> because I love a, a stripped minimal show sometimes. Yeah. Where it's like, you don't really need to see a house. You know that the house is there. Yeah. I like this it's idea the... of creating a vision here. What does this house really look like? Does, and I think anyone sitting in that theater would say, are they in a house? Are they in a building? Are they in an yeah. apartment? It's are mis- they, you know. I like how the windows and doors would appear when needed and disappear. It didn't provide a clutter in front of the acting moment. Yeah. To me, there was something about everything hanging above them that was like, oh, at any point something could fall. The fragility of the home was mirrored in the fragility of the family. At any point, someone's going to kill themselves or someone's going to leave or someone's going to be sad or angry. And when you looked, I'm like, oh yeah, at any point that table could fall. They're hanging on literal ropes and threads and they came down when they needed to and they went up. And I noticed everything was up, but when he died and the mother at the end said, I paid the final mortgage on the house. The house is paid off. Look, it's done. And you're not here. It was a little bit of like a, you can't take it with you. Yeah. But then the whole house came. Everything settled down. The roof too, a pitched roof appeared at the very end. Which we didn't see. We never saw until the very end. The roof, it was almost like the roof is done. And did you notice there's, and from a scenic designer's perspective, when you read in the script, we have to fix this. We have to fix that. Everything in their life it almost was like, is the American dream to just have a big house that you constantly have to spend 30 years fixing until you pay your mortgage off? Because it was the refrigerator. It was the belt. Oh, we have to pay for this. The heater. The roof. Did they fix the roof right? Yeah, the roof's fine. It's not leaking, right? The stoop. Let's fix the stoop. They would say, look at this stoop. How proud our father was of this stoop. Right. There was such pride that he had in the home. And then there was multiple lines like, well, no one's here. I, I, I'm working and I'm working and I'm paying off this home and no one's here now. And it does go, I think that's such a commentary on American culture and American dream people who think the big house is the American dream. And you spend your whole life paying for it. And then look, he literally didn't even live to see the day where he 100% owned it. <laughs> and the whole Spitzing. house came down yeah. on her. And, they, and it was almost like she was left with, there's the table, there's the home, there's the, everything is here and I'm here alone. And for a set design, it was pretty brilliant to do that at the end. I think it was really nice. It was nice to do that with the the set. Yes, I agree. And it's also interesting to see what does Biff do in those final moments. Because mm. he's walking through the home. Yeah. But he never leaves the home. No, I know. He continues to walk backwards. And one of the things that Willie says in the show is, oh, I want Biff to take this home. And does he end up doing it? Yeah. We'll never know. Yeah. You know, does he end up being a salesman? We'll never know. Mm. What does Biff end up yeah. doing? Yeah. And does he take on a lot of the characteristics of his father now? Mm. Or does he go and live the life he wants to live? And it, they all are at a crossroads. It's all, I always find the line very interesting, too, when the, Linda at the end says, where is everybody? The 
this funeral shit. I'm paraphrasing, but I find that to be so chilling. She said, why are we the only ones here? Well, he, yeah, that's... he always talked about, I have clients in Boston and Hartford and, and, and all, I go 30 years. And, and it's like, who was there for him at the death? It was his family and those neighbors. Yeah. Um, but that was it. Yeah. And that was, I think the mother realized the sadness of that too. Well, I think that's the point too of showing the relationships that you create in your outside life, mm-hmm. outside of your home, mm-hmm. are not always going to be there. Yeah. They'll be there with some, but yeah. they're not always going to be there. And also, talking about design too, the lighting was beautiful. It was so mysterious. Flashing things, yeah. people appearing, the mysteriousness of the flashbacks. There was a lot of great moments yeah. in the lighting. And the... Music was nice. I will say what was a little interesting for me is there were so many different genres of music in the piece. And I would love to know from the sound designer or the music composer's perspective why. If you remember, the beginning of the piece started with pop music. Yeah. We then went to like 40s jazz ballad standards. And then we ended with like gospel. We went to multiple places. Maybe that was showing the diversity of black music of different time periods. Maybe. maybe. But I also think it's a little bit uh, a teeter of this story is timeless. Mm. So, yes, it takes place in the 1940s. Yes. And written in the late 40s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But does this apply to the year 2022? Yeah. Yeah. And because of that, taking this weave of music throughout the show puts you in that sense like, oh, this could really be happening mm-hmm. today. And I think that's kind of I like that. an intention. It could be. There is a part of me, though, that says, sink me into something for three hours. If I'm going to sink into a piece about the 1980s, sink me into the 1980s for three hours. That's just some kind of how I feel I sometimes. That this is a little bit different because yeah. this is not really about the 1940s. Right. This is about a family and the American family values, dream. the American dream, career, etc. And because right. of that, I think we are still seeing, you know, this family in multiple aspects yeah. of it, multiple years yeah. of this. Yeah. And, that, and that kind of leads me to the question I wanted to ask you, which is why is death of a salesman always done? Why is it timeless? And why is it a, a piece that is always done all the time? Hmm. Every few years of, we see this. Well, I, I was kind of thinking I was kind of just going there, but yes, yeah, right, right. I think um, it's a timeless show. And I see this and I see the show and I say, this applies to me. This applies to you. This applies to everyone in that theater. And that's why we still see shows that are written like this years after years after years. You know, that's why I think for me. Yeah. But. Yeah. It is timeless and it is it is just shocking. It chills you mm-hmm. to see this. And I think it's important to see a piece like this. And what would the next Broadway production 20 years from now be like? You know, because you're going to just keep seeing it. Right. You know, so. So, yeah. <sighs> Oh my gosh, we're out of time. We're talking about this amazing wow. piece. Let's wrap this up a little bit here. Thoughts, 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 concluding thoughts. I think I want to ask you a question first okay. before final thoughts. But um, we've now seen four of Arthur Miller's um, big plays. We've seen All My Sons, A View from the Bridge, The Crucible, and now Death of a Salesman. All on Broadway. Mm-hmm. We've seen them together. So I guess now I would love to know, out of those four, which is your favorite? <laughs> oh, that's a tough... T- uh, call to make. I know this one the best. Okay. So I would say maybe Death of a Salesman. It's pretty close with View from a Bridge. 
Um, I was in a production of Crucible long ago, and I like Crucible, um, and I like All My Sons. To me, there's more rooted sense of relation to the struggles of what people are going through in a piece like View from the Bridge and a piece like Death of a Salesman. I know those two the best, and they're kind of neck and neck for me. Um, but yeah, it is amazing that we've seen all four on Broadway in the last 10 or 15, about 10 years. No, 10 years, yeah. Yeah. So what about you? What would you say is your favorite? I, I kind of agree with you. I think it's a neck and neck between a view from the bridge and death of a salesman. Mm. I like both of them because one story is about, you know, immigration and making it in this world to have that American dream. And I think this kind of picks mm-hmm. up where that leaves mm-hmm. off. And now we're talking about having the American yeah. dream and craving and wanting it yeah. for people that already live here. So I think they're both, you know, there's so many chilling moments in both of those shows yeah. and they both still apply to our lives today. And, and all my sons has some wonderful moments like that too. Crucible is a little different because that's basically how the McCarthyism era of the Americana reflected yeah. in the witch hunts. And that that's a cool way to look that's at a, a good piece one. too. Just a little different than this, but he wrote different pieces like that. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Uh, but yes, to my overall thoughts, this is wonderful. This is a really chilling, moving production. I strongly recommend people go to see it. I think Miranda Cromwell's direction of it is amazing. But I do think that Wendell Pierce and Sharon Clark really carry this piece. They really do, especially what Wendell's doing in some of those flashback scenes is amazing. I really hope it gets some Tony nominations out of it. I know it's a limited run, so make sure you go check it out. I believe January 8th or 15th, it's mm. running until, so make sure you try to go check that out. But Definitely really, really moving piece. I'm glad we got to see it and discuss it. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed the piece as yeah. well. I think it's a little long. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a little long, so go in with yeah. that. Yeah, I, w- I do wish sometimes with these old pieces, I know maybe they can't with the estate, you know, trim things yeah. down. If if they could take fifteen or twenty minutes off of it, I think that could really, you know, sometimes that the second act there's, goes on. Yeah, there's sometimes that. just dialogue that's unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, we, sometimes we understand what's going on without needing it to be thirty minutes of a scene, maybe a twenty minute version. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, I understand that you don't want to touch the piece in its original form, but yeah, but it's. Definitely a great piece to see, and they're we're we're seeing this in previews right now. So they're just going to keep growing with this show and get better and better as well. So I think you know it was great already. So definitely go and check it out. Yeah, and let us know what you thought. Yes, please. (laughs) I was going to say that. Follow us on Half Hour Podcast on Instagram. TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, comment, engage with us, let us know what you thought. If you're seeing this, if you want to have conversations about the film, is a film version of this or past productions you've seen or the play, what do you think? Check it out. It'll be really, really great. So thank you all for listening. We have lots more shows coming up this season, some pop music. Uh, this was really great that we got to check this out. And like I said, Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman is playing at the Hudson Theater in New York City on Broadway for a limited time until January of 2023. Uh, All right, here we go. Signing off for now. Uh, Thanks for listening. I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. Saying ta-ta. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now.
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.